Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings in chapter number 18. 1 Kings in chapter number 18. We are, of course, carrying on with our, with our series of the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Covering these two prophets of God and watching the miracles that God uses them for. <laughs> this amazing setting full of action, full of adventure, full of these uh, things and principles that we could also find in the lives of these men. Of course, we covered this morning this major Bible event, which Sunday school teachers will enjoy teaching as well. This time that Elijah prayed down fire on Mount Carmel. And of course, we saw the purpose of it. It was to prove to all of the people that God was real. How did they know that God was real? Because of answer prayer. And that we do have a living God who hears and answers prayer. And a God who wants to answer your prayers to prove himself alive to you. And by your answers to prayer to be a witness to a lost world that our God lives. And the proof of it is because of answer to prayer. Now as we come to the follow-up, the conclusion, the climax. Because of this event, what occurs and we want to see what occurs and learn something about the man of God that God has chosen to use notice if you don't mind the book of first Kings chapter 18 the book of first Kings chapter 18 and if you don't mind looking with me in verse number uh, 41 first Kings 18 and verse 41 and Elijah said to Ahab get thee up eat and drink for there is a sound of abundance of rain so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud of out of the sea like a man's hand and he said go up say unto Ahab prepare thy chariot and get thee down the rain <laughs> that the rain stop thee not and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven were bl <laughs> was black with cloud and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. <coughs> Excuse me. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18? The book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 46. 1 Kings 19 and verse 46. Notice the phrase that is associated with Elijah. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And with the Lord's help, we want to put an uh, emphasis here on the hand of the Lord. The hand 
of the Lord. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who indeed is worthy of all adoration, all praise, all devotion, all attention. You're worthy of all of our strength, of all honor, of all glory, of all laud. And as we come up to you now, we're asking that you would help us with the principle. We saw the excitement, we saw the miracle, but now we reveal the curtain back. What is it about Elijah that had you heed him? What is it that was about Elijah that you had this special relationship with? And what is it that we can apply in our own lives that we can have the hand of the Lord upon us? I'm asking that this would not only be an interest to us, but also be something that we all seek. And we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it's interesting to see what the Bible has to say about certain people. We know that at certain people, they're evil. Certain people, uh, God goes out of the way to describe them. But it's interesting that in this case here, at the very end, it says this statement about Elijah. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. When it talks about the hand of the Lord, it's used several times in Scripture. And it's interesting that it's actually placed upon several men. That the hand of the Lord was upon several men. Not a lot of men, but several men. And it is interesting to study their lives and to see why was it that the hand of the Lord was upon them. And almost all of them have the same features in all of their lives. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take this passage here and use this as revealing the curtain, pulling things back. What was it that made the hand of the Lord rest upon Elijah? And is it something that we can have in ourselves? I'll give you the short answer, yes. You can have the hand of God upon you. You can have the hand of the Lord upon your life. It could be used to bless you. But what is it that are the conditions? What is it that is the characteristics of all the people the Bible says that the hand of the Lord is upon? If you don't mind, as we look at this incident here, we could see some things here. What is it that had the hand of the Lord upon Elijah? Well, the first thing, it's because or for his honoring biblical authority. Because of his honoring of biblical authority. Now remember we left off with this morning about the great miracle on Mount Carmel. That 450 prophets of Baal had prayed all day and all the way up to the evening. Praying to their God and nothing happened. We know that Elijah said a simple prayer of 61 words and the fire of God came down and the fire of God was so complete that it destroyed the altar. It melted the rocks. It destroyed the offering. And then it licked up all of the, the uh, <coughs> water and it licked up all the dust. It was complete. And you might remember that at the very beginning... Elijah had asked a question of the crowd. How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve him. Follow him. Well, at the very end of it, he goes back to the crowd and says, All right, who won? Who's God? And they all said, The Lord is the God. That God is the God. That, the God who rained down fire, that's him. He won. And notice what Elijah did in verse number 41 or 40. And Elijah said to them, That's the crowd. Take the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. 
So we could see that Elijah had destroyed the other prophets. Had the people slay them. But the one person he did not kill was the king. King Ahab. You say, why wouldn't he touch Ahab? Ahab's the guy who switched religions. Beforehand, at least people gave lip service to the king. But he's the one who switched over to worship Baal. He's the one who married Jezebel. He's the one who set up a whole corrupt nation. But he did not touch Ahab. In fact, he honored Ahab. Why? Because Ahab was the biblical authority. He was the king. Even though he was evil, even though he was corrupt, even though he would have killed Elijah if given the chance, Elijah still obeyed and honored biblical authority. That is a hallmark that you'll find. And each of these people throughout the Bible that had the hand of God upon them, that they honored biblical authority. Let me show it to you. Notice with me in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink. Again, they killed all the false prophets, but Ahab, he said, go up, eat and drink. Rain's coming. You go ahead and get ready for the rain. It's going to come into the land. He honored the king. He never dishonored the king. He never disrupted him. It may be strange thinking when you have the guy who wants to kill you right there and you have the ability to do him in, but he protects the king and he honors him. What else is it that gave <coughs> the hand of God? Why was it that God had placed his hand upon one man, the man Elijah? Well, not only for, because he honored biblical authority, but also because he humbled himself before the Lord. He humbled himself before the Lord. So what happens is he tells Ahab, go eat and drink. Go get ready. Rain is coming. I hear the abundance of rain. Not just a little rain. I hear of abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But notice what Elijah did. Verse 42. So Ahab went up and to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth. And put his face between his knees. Now, what's happening is that he's holding himself in a position of humbleness. He's going to get alone and he's going to pray with God. And he falls down on his knees and he puts his head down. Now, this is a symbol of, <coughs> of humbleness. Why is it a symbol of humbleness? Because you're totally at the mercy of the person you're bowing down to. And so as Elijah would bow down to God, God could do anything he wanted to him. It was a sign that you are the one that's in charge. I am completely at your disposal. Now, of course, this is just a position of humbleness. It is a picture of his humbleness within his heart, meaning that he's trusting God. God, I need you. You're the one who's supposed to work. You're the one that I'm trusting and depending on. We know that God always, <coughs> always honors humbleness. Let me show you this, and we'll come back to this passage. So hold your finger here in 1 Kings, and turn with me to the New Testament, the book of James. The book of James. If you're looking for the book of James, it's towards the end of the Bible. The last book, of course, is the book of uh, Revelation. Keep turning the other direction, and you'll hit Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, the book of James. 
It's right after the book of Hebrews. So if you find the book of Hebrews, you're close. The book of James, and notice with me in the book of James, and notice with me in chapter number four. James in chapter number four. Now God always, always honors humbleness. It's something that's a hallmark of God. He honors humbleness. Notice, if you don't mind, in the book of James, chapter 4. Notice with me, starting at verse 7. James, chapter 4, and verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Remember the word submit carries the idea that we are to, with our hearts, obey God. Put ourselves under His authority. That we understand that doing God's will is not just simply doing the act. It's delighting in God's will. Being satisfied with what God has given to us. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. It says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Notice if you don't mind in verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So in this passage, it's talking a lot about humbleness and how God humbles, hum, uh, honors humbleness. What is this humbleness? It carries the idea that we are allowing God to be God. Let me give you an illustration. Mr. Josh, if you don't mind to come up and help me out. In verse number 6, it is the key to unlocking this. It says, but he, that's God, giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud. Proud is carrying the idea, come over here if you don't mind. Pride, in this case, is carrying the idea that I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I can get it done myself. And so it says that God resisteth the proud. So what I want you to do is I want you to push. All right. Now, as he pushes, come on. I thought after these years, you get stronger. All right. Now, as he pushes in order to hold him in place, I have to put more resistance to keep him in the same place. Right. So as he tries to force his way, there's more resistance and he's getting a lot of work and not getting anything accomplished. All right. He's trying to move forward and he can't because he's being resisted. Okay. Stop for a moment. That happens in our case. When we try to get something done ourselves, even good things, even godly things, even spiritually things, if we are trying to do it ourselves, God resists us. This is why we get frustrated. I'm doing everything I can and it's not changing because it is you that is doing it. And God is resisting it. And you said, but I don't understand. It's a good thing that I'm trying to do. Yes, but the problem is, is that you are trying to do it. You can't change people. And the more that you try to change them, the more nothing's going to happen. You could try until you're blue in the face, until you're weak and weary, until you're ready to cry, and it will not work. You could try to do something for the Lord in your own strength. And the more that you try, the more it doesn't seem anything's working and you get frustrated. But I'm doing it for the Lord. Yes, but it is you that's doing it. That God says he resisteth the proud. 
The more that you try to do God's work, the more nothing's going to happen. But notice this, okay? God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. So now when he says, God, I need your help, God says, let's go. And God escorts him, walks with him, pushes him. And all of a sudden, all kinds of things are happening. Why? Because he said, I can't do it. I have to be dependent upon the Lord. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. This is such a big deal. Because Christians find themselves frustrated, beating their heads against the doors, against the desk. Wondering, why can't things happen? Why, why am I not seeing answers to prayer? Why isn't this being fixed? Why is my life still the same? Because it's you. You are the problem. But I'm trying to do good things. But as long as you are doing it, it will never, never work. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Then notice, as we understand what the humbleness now is, notice the rest of the passage. Submit yourselves, therefore. So because God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble, therefore, because of that, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You place yourself under God's authority. You say, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever you say, I'll obey. As long, Just open up the Bible. God, show me from the Bible what it is that you want me to do. And I'll do that. And God says, that's all I was waiting for. I was just waiting for you just to agree with me and say, God, you're in charge. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the God. To God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Meaning that you stop believing the devil and his lies. You just obey God, or and everything else will fall into place because God giveth grace to the humble. It says, verse eight: Draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. That means as you try to get close to God, God will get closer to you. You'll get closer to God; He'll get closer to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Meaning that we should be clean before God. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Why was it that Elijah had the hand of God upon him? Because he had a humbleness. God, I can't do anything. It's you. You do this. You just tell me what to do and I'll obey it. It makes everything simple because all the decisions in your life have already been made. You just have to say, yes, God, what do you want me to do? It simplifies all of life. My job is just to obey. God tells me what to do and I obey that. God tells me what to do and I obey that. God tells me what to do, I obey that. And you'll find that if you take that simple approach to life, I'll obey whatever God tells me. He goes beside and he gives you grace to the humble. He will lift you up. So many things will be accomplished in your life. Sometimes you can look at other people in your life and say, they've been saved as long as me. They came through the same background. Why are they so far ahead spiritually? It's because they gave grace, or God gave them grace because they humbled themselves. They just submitted themselves to God, said, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And thus we got Elijah, who has God's hand upon him. Because he obeyed biblical authority or he honored biblical authority. He humbled himself before God. Turn back with me if you don't mind. And we'll finish off this passage and get one more thing in here. 
He humbled himself before God. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. And let's see if this story went up. Verse 22, or 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah uh, went to the top of Mount Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went and looked and said, there is nothing. So here's Elijah. He's on the top of Mount Carmel. He's bowed himself down. And he tells his servant, go see if there's anything yet. His servant comes back, says, nothing, boss. Elijah does not get up. He stays in that position. And he prays and talks to God some more and says, go check down. Goes back a second time. Nothing. Elijah stays where he is. He prays, takes time talking with the Lord. Says, go check down. Still nothing. Six times he went and there was nothing. This last time, Elijah said, go check again. You can almost imagine the servant saying, okay, what am I going to find this time? It hasn't rained in three and a half years. Nothing's happened. And Elijah said, go check again. This time the servant comes back and says, there's not much. There's just a little cloud over the Mediterranean Sea. Just a little cloud. Elijah said, it's going to rain. Go tell Ahab to go back and he needs to take off now if he's going to get home before the rain starts. And so he does. Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse 44. And it came to pass at the seventh time, he said, Behold, there riseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, for the rain stopped thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven were black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And so here's this rain cloud. It started off just small like a man's hand. And next thing you know the whole sky is dark. The whole thundering and lightning. The things are, are just getting ready to roar. The rain begins to fall. Everything's getting soaked and drenched. Ahab's trying to get home before he gets stuck in the mud. But then something else happens. Verse 46. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. So here we have this, this listing here. We see that Ahab is going to Jezreel, from Carmel to Jezreel. And notice this, and he, that's Elijah, girded up his loins. And this is just a fancy way that men's clothing in the Middle East, even today, they have the ability to grab up the skirts and they would have a leather belt and you would tuck it under and this would allow you to be able to have the freedom to run without tripping over. So he girts his, his uh, <coughs> loins up, as the Bible says, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, if you're not familiar with Bible geography, this isn't a big deal. But let me give you a little crash course that from Carmel to Jezreel is about 30 miles. And he gave Ahab a head start. So Ahab start going. And Elijah said, all right, it's raining, let's go. And he outran Ahab and his chariot 30 miles. He said, come on, slow poke, what are you doing? I can almost imagine, almost like a cartoon. There's Ahab with the whip and Elijah's like, hey, what's going on? And just outruns him, beats him in the middle of the rain. What an amazing thing. But we come back to this idea of why was the hand of God upon Elijah? We understand from this passage here, we understand it is because he honored biblical authority. It is because he humbled himself. But the Bible also unlocks another secret with a description of another man. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Ezra, chapter number 6. The book of Ezra, chapter number 6. If you're in the book of 1 Kings now, turn to 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and then we come to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, chapter number 7. 
And in Ezra, we are introduced to the man by the name of Ezra. And Ezra was another man of God who had the hand of God upon him. And here clearly explains why the hand of God was upon Ezra. Notice if you don't mind, let us look starting at verse number 6. Ezra chapter 7, Ezra chapter 7, and in verse number 6, notice what the Bible says concerning Ezra. Ezra 7 verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all of his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went some of the children of Israel, and some of the priests, and the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the neams, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And it came to, it came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. The second time in just a number of verses. Why was it. Notice in verse number 10, the very first word is the word for. Oftentimes in the Bible, when you see that word for, you could ask the, re the question why up ahead. Why was the good hand of God upon him? For, for this reason, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgment. What's a third reason why the hand of God is upon anyone? Because he had his heart prepared to obey God's word. He had prepared his heart to obey the Lord. So that brings a question. How do we prepare our heart? How do we prepare our heart to obey God's word? Do you know that some people's heart is more ready to obey than others? There are some people who are ready immediately to obey God's word. There are some it's more hard soil that feels like there needs to be some plowing and some digging and some drilling and some other things that have to be done. How is it that someone can prepare their heart to obey God? Well, notice as we see the example of Ezra in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, uh, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the things. We have three things here. First of all, he, how did he prepare his heart? Well, first of all, he seeked. He seeked the law of the Lord. To seek the law of the Lord. The word seek means to look. To look for it. You know how you're ready to obey God's word? If you're, re if you're looking to obey it. Are you looking to obey it? God, tell me what to do. Show me what to do. And guess what? God will show you every time. God will not leave you just standing there. He'll tell you something to do. Even if it's to wait, that's something to do. But if you say, God, you just tell me what to do and I will do it, he will show you. He prepared his heart to seek God. He also prepared his heart, notice this, not only to seek the law of the Lord, but he prepared his heart to do it. To do it. What does that mean? It means he said yes to God before he even knew what God said. God, you just tell me what to do and I will do it. If you have that attitude, if you have that preparation there, that no matter what he says, even if it's something I don't want to do, I'm going to say yes. Even if it's something that sounds silly to me, I'm going to say yes. 
I was just studying for a later message in here. Where the king was told to fire arrows outside of a tower, outside of a window, and put it in the ground. And that was to win a war. Can you imagine how silly you might feel? I'm going to shoot this arrow into the ground and it's going to win me victories. You have to be prepared to obey the word. Even if it sounds silly. You take something like baptism. You know that baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't wash away sins. All it is is a picture. It's a picture that you're willing to follow Jesus. All right, so you're one to tell me that in order to prove that I'm willing to follow in Jesus, you want me to get in my clothes, in front of everyone, into some water. Then the preacher wants to hold me under the water and bring me back up. You know how silly that is? You know how nonsensical that sounds? And it doesn't do anything for me? I don't go to heaven because of that? It doesn't wash away my sins? I go down, get wet, and come back, and I'm still wet? Yes. It shows that you're willing to obey God, even if it doesn't make sense. That's what it's picturing. I am willing to follow after Jesus. And so he prepared his heart to seek God. The law of the Lord. He prepared his heart to do it. God you tell me what to do. No matter what it is. You understand how far you would get in your Christian life. If you went with that attitude. If you came to church. Every service. God you tell me what to do. You use the preacher to tell me from the Bible. And I will do it. You'll grow faster than you ever thought was possible. To grow grow as a Christian. You know why people don't grow. Because they haven't prepared his heart to seek God. Because they haven't prepared their heart to obey God. They almost want to have a Burger King thing. Well, if it sounds good to me, I'll take it. It's almost like a buffet. Oh, if it sounds good, I'll take some of that. Maybe two helpings of that. No, 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 no. Don't want to touch that. But that's not how it works. Why did God have his hand upon Elijah? Why did he have his hand upon Ezra? Because they prepared their heart to seek the law of the Lord. They prepared their heart to obey the law of the Lord. And then notice this. He prepared his heart to teach the law of the Lord. And to teach it in Israel statutes and judgments. He says, I'm not satisfied with just knowing it. I need to teach someone else how to follow after God. I need to teach someone else to do what God just told me to do. How to walk with him. How to follow after him. How to work with him. This is why God used men like Elijah. Men like Ezra. Men like Nehemiah. And other people who the Bible says God had his hand upon. Because they had those traits. That they were willing to honor biblical authority. That they were willing to humble themselves and say God it's not you. Or it's not me it's you. It's you God. It's you God. And then men who had prepared their hearts. To seek the law of the Lord. To obey the law of the Lord. To teach the law of the Lord. That's humbleness there. That God, you already made all the decisions. You just tell me what to do and I will do it. Why was it? It's because they made the Christian life, the believer's life simple. You tell me what to do and I will do it. Simple. 
If the Bible's open, God wants to tell you something. I'm going to do it. One of my favorite illustrations of this, God knows that we work on word pictures. It talks about another man who was used of God in a special way. The man by the name of Samuel. And in Samuel chapter 3, it describes as he grows up. And it gives this illustration that, uh, that Samuel did not let the word of God hit the ground. And in my mind, it's like Elijah or Samuel had a basket. And he's standing underneath an apple tree. And waiting for the apples to fall. And so he's making sure not a single one hits the ground. And so the same thing, he's applying it to the word of God. That he's seeking the, Lord, the law of the Lord. He's looking for it. Where's it going to be? Oh, there it is. And he goes off to catch it. That's for me. That's for me. Oh, there's another one. And he goes and he grabs it. That's for me. He's looking for it. Oftentimes when I'm preaching, it's almost like arrows into a crowd and everyone's trying to avoid it. Whoa, that almost got me. That was close. Whoa, you have, whoo. People are looking for it just to avoid it. But Samuel, he's, he's looking for the law of the Lord. Come on. And he, can, and he didn't let a single one hit the ground. That's a picture in your head of exactly what happened to Ezra. What happened to Elijah. Why did they have God's hand upon them? Because they had this preparation to seek the law of the Lord. To do the law of the Lord. And then when they had it, to teach the law of the Lord. The good hand of God upon them. Which bears the question. And by the way, not everyone will say yes to this question. But some should. Do you want the good hand of God upon you? This is not like a secret mystery that only a certain few people can have. Anyone can have it. Anyone could have God's hand upon him. Do you know who else had God's hand upon him? Joseph. Joseph is working for Potiphar and God is blessing Potiphar because Joseph is there. He's put in prison and God blesses the prison because Joseph is there. God's hand was upon him. Wouldn't you love God's hand upon you when you're doing things in your day-to-day -day life, you can. Honoring biblical authority by humbling yourselves before God and then seeking, preparing your heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do the law of the Lord, and to teach the law of the Lord. And God can put His hand upon you and bless your life and grow like you've never grown before as a Christian. And watch God do amazing things in your life. You know, I don't see why any Christian would be satisfied with a normal, common life. When they could have so much more. Wouldn't you love to see God doing miracles in your life? Day after day after day. You can! If God's hands upon you, wouldn't it be amazing to talk to people and people automatically responding well to you? Would that be a blessing? You can with God's hand upon you. Wouldn't it be amazing to have person after person after person being brought to church, getting saved, getting discipled? Well, it can when God's hands upon you. God's hands upon you. 
It's an interesting study, the hand of God. You know, there's another instance where the hand of God was upon a people. And that was the local church in the book of Acts. It says the hand of God was upon them. As they went out and they prayed, God gave them the power and the boldness. And they went out and witnessed. And it said that the hand of God was upon them. How did they have the hand of God upon them? Because they as a church had decided they were going to obey biblical authority. They as a church had decided they were going to humble themselves before God. And they as a church had decided they were going to prepare their hearts to seek the law of the Lord. To do the law of the Lord. And then to teach the law of the Lord. You'll see that principle in the book of Acts. You see that principle dealing with Ezra. You'll see that principle in the lives of all these men. That had the hand of God upon them. By the way, ladies are included inside of the church of Acts. You could have God's hand upon you. It's not something that comes to everyone. And it does not come by accident. But you can have it if you want it. And so the decision you need to make today. Is do you want the common ordinary life. Where it seems like things don't come easy. And you're being resisted. Or do you want to see God do amazing things in your life. You can with the good hand of God upon you to honor biblical authority, to humble yourself in the sight of God, and to prepare your heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do the law of the Lord, and to teach others the law of the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.